Father, we give you thanks for the series we're in where we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. We pray here today as we look at this topic that you would open our minds and hearts to receive from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you heard from the prayer, uh, the topic is the life and teachings of Jesus, part five of that series. And our specific today is salvation. We're going to be looking at this area of salvation And, of course, um, Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the good news, to call people to repentance, to call them to believe in the Son of God. Well, here we're going to look at Jesus himself and see how he reaches out to an individual, someone we know well, Nicodemus, uh, one of the most famous passages of the Bible. And uh, here we're going to see how Jesus tries to help this gentleman discover that he is indeed the one the, the Messiah, the place, the one to place your faith in for salvation. Let's have a look here at the opening part of the passage. Um, John 3.1, it says this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. I'll pause there just for a moment. Uh, who is the Jew, Jewish ruling council? Well, another word for them is the Sanhedrin. It comprised 70 elders who really had uh, a form of Government, governance and direction over the whole of the nation. Uh, so they um, were very respected generally and uh, men that uh, were certainly spiritual. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. And uh, so these were kind of influential people. But Nicodemus was more than just that. Look at this verse here, John 3.10. Jesus says to him, you are Israel's teacher. You are Israel's teacher. So he was not just any Pharisee. He was the guy who went around in the synagogues all over the nation teaching the Torah, the the word of God. So this guy was extremely influential and uh, obviously open-minded too. He came to Jesus seeking spiritual truth. And one of the things that I think I I see in Jesus here is that he, he, he certainly made space for strategic people. Can I suggest this? Number one, you and I, we need to reach strategic people. One, reach strategic people. Now, what do I mean by that? You might have someone in your life that actually, if you won them to Christ, if they discovered Jesus, they would influence many other people in the same direction. You imagine Nicodemus. If he comes to believe Jesus really is the Messiah, the amount of influence he had would be phenomenal. Um, We don't know sometimes either, do we? So I think sometimes there needs to be discernment. Now, you've probably never heard of the preacher Mordecai, but actually was relatively well-known last century, and he was at an event where a young man came forward and received Jesus as Lord and Saviour. I don't know whether how discerning Mordecai was of that moment, but that young man was Billy Graham and led millions of people to Christ. You just don't know. Has God put someone in, in connection with you that could be so strategic? If you lead them to Christ they will lead many others to Christ. Let's try and have that discernment going on. Reach strategic people. I've I've always tried to get my antennas up. I remember I just moved back from England and there was a combined event at uh, my church and uh, it was kind of a prayer thing, but it was a little bit secular in how they did it and stuff. It was kind of, you know, all sorts of churches and there were members of the local council there and that sort of thing, including the mayor. He was there. Now, I thought, he's a strategic person. So I organised going out for lunch with him, as you do. 
and uh, thought, well, look, if I could lead this person to Christ, he'll have influence. Turns out he was already a Christian. So <laughs> but, you know, it's having those radars up. Um, I remember the principal of my Bible college, uh, he told a great story about this. Uh, he, he mentioned um, a Misho guy, because it was a missionary training Bible college. He mentioned a Misho that was working in um, Tibet. And he would connect with a lot of Buddhist monks. He'd become quite good friends with one of them, and he was one of their key lecturers. And after many meals, many conversations, he leads this Buddhist monk to Christ. Well, the Buddhist monk decided he would continue to teach at their form of seminary, at their monastery, um, because he believed he'd discovered enlightenment, and that enlightenment was faith in Jesus Christ. And so he would teach the Four Noble Truths. He would teach the, the Eightfold Path. Um, and actually, a lot of that teaching is, sits very well with the Bible. It's similar stuff. I'll just summarise the Eightfold Path. Correct view, correct intention, correct speech, correct action, correct livelihood, correct effort, correct mindfulness, correct concentration. Siddhartha Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, um, he believed that suffering came into this world because of negative intentions towards others that are expressed in thoughts, words, or actions. Of course, Jesus would agree with that. And Jesus said the remedy for that is love one another. Love your neighbour as yourself. A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And uh, anyway, as he would teach his students, and they would come to him and say, you know, I just can't do it. The Eightfold Path, the teachings, they're so challenging, I'm just not able to live up for it. I just can't do it. He'd have a private meeting with that student and say, well, look, the truth is none of us will. None of us can live up to it. None of us can make these high standards. The creator of the universe, though, has made a way for us. We can find forgiveness. He sent his only son into this world, and if you believe in him, you can discover enlightenment and the Eightfold Path is a guide for us, but faith in Jesus Christ is not just a guide. It is the answer. He is the source of enlightenment, and he would lead them to faith in Jesus. Seriously. He was a strategic man that uh, that missionary led to Jesus Christ. John 3.2 says this. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God was not with him. I remember at my first church we had a visiting speaker and uh, he asked two or three questions of this passage. And um, I was just a, a new Christian there, I hadn't been saved for very long. And he asked the question, why do you think Nicodemus came at night? I put my hand up and said, because I think he was worried about um, his reputation that uh, he was a, a, a Pharisee, but he had fellow Pharisees that didn't believe in this, you know, this crazy new prophet, Jesus, and he didn't want anyone to know. He was meeting with him. Well, the, the preacher actually said, no, no, that's, not the, that's not, not the case. Night was considered the appropriate time to talk about spiritual truths. Well, I'm not too sure if he was right. Uh, <laughs> William Barclay, the Bible commentator, states this, who's excellent on New Testament culture. He says, um, It is likely that Nicodemus came at night 
as at this point he did not want the other Jewish ruling council members to know that he was meeting with Jesus, as many of them had rejected him as the Messiah. I think that's more likely the case. You know, it's one of the longest conversations recorded in Scripture, this dialogue. Now, you've got to remember, John has just given us a summary of this conversation. You think of the end of uh, his gospel where he says, look, I haven't included everything about Jesus, all he taught and all his miracles. If, if I did, I don't know if there'd be enough books in the world to contain it all. And so he is really just giving us the primary things the Holy Spirit has in, it, it led him to write as he describes this particular discussion. And so, I look, my leaning would be it went on for several hours. But you know what? Jesus clearly invested that quality time with Nicodemus. Can I suggest this, number two? We're going to lead someone to Christ. It may take an investment of quality time. Invest quality time. I know that some of you might be thinking, yeah, but Lee, I've done some street evangelism. I've led someone to Christ in five minutes. Absolutely, I know, I know. Of course, that does happen, absolutely. But sometimes it's going to require you to invest quality time. Often it will. I remember um, a chap called uh, Nick Whitehead. Um, my wife and I got to know him. We'd moved to Berwick. They'd recently moved to Berwick as well, Berwick area from um, England. And uh, we had a few British friends at the time. Our neighbours were British anyway. Got to know him and uh, we had a lot of long conversations about spirituality. We had a few things in common. I had a very nice pool table at the time and he loved shooting pool, so we'd do a bit of that. And a, few, well, a few of us would do that together. Um, he didn't mind a game of table tennis and tennis. We used to do that together from time to time. And um, I, I remember we were going to run an alpha course from my home. And um, his wife had recently become a Christian. She was keeny come so he did and uh, just a few doors we got to know a lot of our neighbors in that area just a few doors around one of the guys had recently come to faith in Jesus about two years ago through doing the alpha course so I started that evening with him sharing his story anyway the first night Nick says this well look I don't believe in the devil but I'm going to be the devil's advocate because I'm going to ask a lot of difficult questions and I'm going to make a lot, a lot of comments you're probably not going to be happy with he set some parameters from the beginning <laughs> Well, he, he, he journeyed through the course, and he didn't do the, the, the Alpha weekend away. He didn't want to do that. Um, he didn't become a Christian. But I think he heard some truths that helped. And I can remember one morning at his new house. Now, he had his, his own pool, pool table. He had uh, built, built a lovely new place. And we were, I was over at his house one morning having a coffee, deep conversation. And he said, look, I'm actually starting to wonder. People do seem to have genuine experiences of God. I don't know, is it psychological, is it emotional, or is it actually divine? I don't know. But I'm starting to wonder about that. Could people really experience God, he says to me. Well, we talked along those lines for a bit, and I eventually said to him, well, well, actually, Nick, you could find out today. I could lead you in a prayer, and you can invite Jesus into your, your heart right now. He said, oh, no, 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 I'm not ready for that. <laughs> well... Our church ran another Alpha course, a very well-attended one, this particular one. There was about 50 people there. And um, Nick again had a crack at Alpha, sat at my table. And I uh, didn't miss a night this time. And uh, we came to our Alpha Holy Spirit day away. And there on that day, he guided Jesus into his life, surrendered to Christ, became a Christian. 
But you know, it took time. <laughs> I had to invest a lot of time in uh, seeing Nick come to faith in Jesus. But um, I felt in my heart, despite the fact him saying, I'm an atheist, I got a sense. I think God wants me to spend time with you. I sense, actually, he's working in your heart. And that's, that's the thing. You know, let's, let's allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. John 3.3 3 says this. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Interesting thing to say to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, he would have been a morally upright man. He's Israel's teacher. He certainly knows the word of God. He got a lot of things going for him. Didn't just attend synagogue every Saturday. He preached at the synagogues. And yet Jesus had the audacity to say, look, you're not going to discover the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Um, you see, Nicodemus needed to understand he needed salvation. He would have thought he was already sorted. He needed salvation. Number three, part of, part of our role, as modelled by Jesus, reveal the need of salvation. Reveal the need of salvation. You see, many Aussies who might be slightly God-fearing, they think, oh, I'll be right, mate. I've never done anything that bad. Peter at the pearly gates, he's going to let me in. You know, I'm, I'm all right. But actually, no, they need to know that, no, they're not all right. Just because they're not what they would consider a bad person, it's not about that. We need to help them realise what it means to discover salvation. You know, I can remember a chap in um, my last church who was doing the Alpha course. He would have considered himself Christian. He, as far as I could tell, he was morally upright. Went to church, not that regularly, but he went to church. Believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But on the journey of doing the Alpha course together, he came to realise, actually, he's not there. And I can still remember on the Holy Spirit Day, I'll quote his own words, he actually said this. <clears throat> Talking about the day, I asked him, how was the Holy Spirit day for you? It was a single day in this case. It was life-changing, he says. I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm now born again. And he admits, yes, he was religious before, but he didn't know the Lord. He wasn't born again. Nicodemus is not born again by the Spirit of God. We learn from this conversation just being religious is not enough in Jesus' mind. Just being religious is not enough, even if it's evangelical religious. John 3, 4 says this, How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Jesus was surprised because, um, well, it's there in Ezekiel, that whole born again concept. It is in the Old Testament. I know it's not dominant like it is in the New, but it is there. And it was even in Greek culture, this concept of being born again. And so I think Jesus is surprised that Nicodemus doesn't seem to know about it. But look, he wouldn't have been the first deeply religious person to miss a spiritual reality, would he? Now, let's just be honest about that. Now, what, what does Jesus do? When Nicodemus doesn't understand, he says, look, I'm not talking about being born again in your mother's womb. Look, flesh gives birth to flesh. I'm not talking about natural birth. The spirit 
gives birth to spirit. He tries to explain the concept to him. And can I suggest, we have to do the same. You know, uh, we, we sometimes, if we're talking with someone who's not got a Christian heritage or perhaps not an evangelical church heritage at least, often there are concepts they're really just going to, they're not going to grasp unless we take some time to explain them. Number four, explain new concepts. I learned that from Jesus. Explain new concepts. Have a look at John 4, 8. It says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I like the way a couple of the movies portray this, where it has Jesus um, in the evening on a, in a kind of um, one of those flat roofs that they have in the Middle East, and uh, the wind comes up just as he's talking, and it starts to move the trees and stuff, and then Jesus says this. Look, it's like this, Nicodemus. You can't see the wind, but you can see what it does. Anyone who's born of the Spirit, they might look physically the same, but the fact is they change. Their behaviour changes. Their thinking patterns change. There is transformation within. My thought is this, that uh, number five, we need to illustrate spiritual truths. Sometimes we need to illustrate spiritual truths. You know, I, I often use the bridge to life tract when I'm trying to win someone to Christ or I just draw it up, the two cliffs and God on one side and humanity on the other and only Jesus can bridge the gap. I've used that hundreds of times. This concept of being born again, you know, one of the things that we probably had to do a drawing of at primary school, I imagine, so common, I had to. You remember this? Let's put this illustration up here of the caterpillar, the butterfly. Remember having to draw that? Or you might have drawn it in a circle. And you've got this caterpillar there. And he's going to get to a stage where he's fully grown and he will regurgitate a bunch of leaves, create for himself a chrysalis, and he'll be in there for a time. And whilst he's in there, a metamorphosis takes place. And ultimately, he you know, uses his new wings to bust out of that chrysalis and strengthens them in the process. He's now a butterfly. Totally different to look at. When someone's born again, there is a radical change in the heart. A metamorphosis has taken place within. I do need to ask you that question this morning. Do you think you've been born again yourself? You're here today, you're at church, but have you been born again by the Spirit of the living God? John 3.13 says this, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Um, it's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? But not so much for Nicodemus. He's memorized the book of Numbers. He would have known that passage like the back of his hand that Jesus is quoting from. Do you want me to quote it to you? Because you haven't memorised that, have you? No. <laughs> Numbers 21, 4 and 5. They travelled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go round Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. 
the food was manna from heaven, which um, they probably weren't just eating by this time. They are probably cooking it and doing it in all sorts of different ways. But if they're anything like my kids, you've only got to do the same meal two nights running and they're real cranky. <laughs> um, they were grumbling. All sorts of things they were grumbling about. And they're even saying, oh, it was better back in Egypt, even though they were slaves in Egypt and very brutally treated. That's just not true, is it? It wasn't better back in Egypt. But how does God respond to their grumbling? Well, pretty severely. Look at this, Numbers 21.6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. When, uh, then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Kind of a weird story, isn't it? So God instructs Moses, I want you to fashion a bronze snake and I want you to put it on a pole. And for those who've been bitten, they look at that and they'll be healed. They'll live. You know, um, we're actually quite influenced, uh, our Western nations, by biblical stuff. We've got it all through our culture. Have a look at this symbol here, the nursing hospital symbol. Bronze pole with a couple of snakes on it, isn't it? They've added the wings. That's basically the same concept, isn't it? It's, influence, it's an influence in our culture. Now, what was the Lord actually saying? Well, it's not a magic snake. That's not the issue here. It's faith in God's word spoken through Moses. That's what saved them. Are you going to believe the word of God spoken through Moses? I don't care how crazy it is. Are you going to believe it? If you believe that, you'll be healed. If you don't believe it, you won't be. Even if it's a weird bronze snake thing you're looking at, it's did you respond to the word of God? Have you placed your faith in the word of God through Moses? Well, if you do, you'll be healed. <clears throat> the phrase that's uh, used in the Nicodemus passage um, is lifted up. That phrase, lifted up. It's translated from the, the, the Greek word, hapsawan. And Jesus uh, uses the term on two other occasions, hapsawan. It's only there three times in the Gospel of John. And we translate it, lift it up. Lift it up. Let me read a, a verse here where it's uh, used. John 12, 32. And I, when I am hapsuan, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Getting the concept? So when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, when I am lifted up, when I am lifted up, and of course he's referring to the cross. Everyone who looks to me will not just be physically healed, they will be spiritually healed. I love a moment in Jesus of Nazareth where it has Nicodemus, a scene. He's looking at Jesus on the cross. The penny drops, he realises what he was talking about and he starts to quote Isaiah 53 where Jesus' crucifixion is described. Powerful moment in the movie. But can I suggest my point is this, number six, quote from the scripture. Quote from the scripture. There is power in God's word. Jesus quotes from the Bible as he's trying to reach this guy. 
Nicodemus. And there's a lot of great verses that I quote from John when I'm talking with someone who's searching for spirituality. One of them is what we read a little earlier, John 3.3. Tell you the truth. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. It's not just about being religious. It's not just about morals. You need to be born again. You need to be transformed by the Spirit of God. Or you think of John 14.6. Isn't that a great one? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was talking about the, the Buddhist stuff there before. I've actually written a Buddhist tract here. It's called Jesus and Buddhist Philosophy. And one of the things I say in this at the end is Sahata Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, says to his people, I'm a fellow traveller trying to discover the way. Whereas Jesus, in comparison, says, I am the way. And uh, that's, that's the concept, friends. I love them because they use the word enlightenment, of course. Jesus uses the word eternal life. And a lot of people don't get, well, what does eternal life mean? Well, Jesus says, again, a John verse, John 17, 3. Jesus is praying, he says, probably with his hands raised because it's quite Jewish to do it that way. Father. He talks to his father and says, This is eternal life, knowing you, the only true God. How did Jesus define eternal life? Knowing God. It's a relationship with God. That is the heart of enlightenment, knowing the one true God. Let me finish with this final famous verse. Here's a great one to quote, and you all know it. John 3.16. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus here is inviting Nicodemus to believe that he's truly the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. And friend, in our journey of spiritual conversation with someone, it needs to get to that place where we're inviting them to believe. Like those couple of times with Nick. First time, he turned it down. Well, actually, there were several times. Finally, at the Alpha course weekend, the second time he did Alpha, he was ready and invited Jesus into his life as Lord and Saviour, as leader and the one who brings forgiveness. Number seven, invite them to believe in Jesus. Number seven, invite them to believe in Jesus. It's got to be part of the journey. So, friends, there's other things we could draw from the passage, of course, but I've kind of kept, kept it down to seven principles. Number one, reach strategic people. Be prayerful. Who's God got in your life that could be strategic? Who's not far from God's kingdom? One, reach strategic people. Invest quality time. Three, reveal the need of salvation. Four, explain new concepts. Five, illustrate spiritual truth. Six, quote from the scriptures. And seven, invite them to believe in Jesus. Well, we have a great opportunity at the moment with some invitational evangelism. Some would argue it's the easiest form. You might get into a conversation with one of these things as you offer it to someone. But also you might just invite them, and that's great too. Um, be prayerful that the Lord will draw people in. Be prayerful for our folk that, that God will open doors of conversation. You know, Marlene, uh, she's dropped, uh, well, including this one, when we tried to do a church relaunch, um, she has dropped hundreds of those two flyers in mailboxes, hundreds of them. 
I know some of you might be thinking, yeah, but Lee, does it do any good? You know, and we haven't had a big response to trying to relaunch the church. We've got a few visitors, but, you know, it's not been a big response. Does it really work? Well, I want to talk about this, this first one. There, I think there's longevity as well. And why I say longevity is I have seen it over the years that it's not just the initial run. It's what happens in the long term. To give an example of this, um, with that group of guys I was hanging out with at the time, some of whom did Alpha, including Nick, were at my place shooting pool and we went down to the local pizza shop. We often had pizza, pizza and pool. That was, one of the, <laughs> that was the thing. And um, I got talking with a girl at the shop. And uh, fortunately, there was no other customers coming in for a while. It was brilliant. So I spent about seven, perhaps up to ten minutes chatting with her about spiritual things, shared the gospel with her. And then gave her a little thing a bit like, more like this one. Why don't you come along to our new church we're starting? Well, I never saw her again for four years. And then she turned up. She came week after week, about six weeks, and she looked terrible. She looked miserable. Um, anyway, it was about the seventh time she came, back-to-back services. Coming for about seven weeks, there was a chance to give your life to Christ that particular Sunday. It wasn't an evangelistic service as such, but as you hear me do, sometimes I'll invite people to give their lives to Christ in a regular service. Well, she gave her life to Christ. And she told me a little bit of her story. That flyer, that night at the pizza shop, she'd stuck it on a board next to her bed. It stayed there for four years. She hit a rough patch in life and started coming to our church. Gave her life to Christ after a few weeks of that. And she was serious. She got very committed to Christ. Ended up doing all sorts of ministry and ended up actually in our leadership. Her name was Sally. But I think over the years of these productions, and look, there's just dozens upon dozens and dozens of stories of people coming to faith in Christ. We've got about 15 different ones, actually, we've ran over the years. So there's a whole bunch of different ones, some fairly small casts, some huge casts. Um, but they've been effective time and time again. They've been effective with so many people. Let me just mention a, a couple of people. A girl called Stacy. Um, she showed up at my church. Just had questions, you know, never been to church before, just popped in and said something, you know, wanted to ask two or three questions. I said, well, I gave one a, a, you know, a flyer, like the follower, and said, look, why don't you come along to this? It's like a week later, you know, from when I'm having a chat with her. She didn't turn up on a Sunday, she just showed up at the church. And so she did, she came along. She indicated on a box that she'd invited Jesus into her life. Did the journeys course, did the alpha course, got properly saved. And then um, she loved the concept. She wanted to help out. So she did. She's doing all sorts of backstage stuff, doing acting and so on. Passionate about the power of an evangelistic tool, such as a production. Or I'll tell you a story about Gavin. Gavin and his wife show up at a production, indicate on their cards that they want to become Christians. Gavin sat at my journeys table as did his wife, and um, heard a bit of a Gavin story. Grown up in the Presbyterian church, got into his teenage years and decided not into that Jesus Christ stuff. Stopped going. 
20 years later, came up, came along to a show. And uh, I could see that he'd given his life to Christ at that show. His wife wasn't there yet. She was a spiritualist. So she was into all sorts of occultic stuff. Took a bit more time with her. But only about five, six weeks. By the end of the journey's course, she'd committed her life to Jesus. Now, Gavin, we got into a bit of a spot. We did a, at Narry Warren Baptist, we did a, a large renovation. Doubled the size of our car park, doubled the size of our auditorium. Our auditorium legally sat 250. We were squashing 300 in there. Um, and we already ran three services a Sunday as well. But the, the bigger one, the morning one, that we're you know, sometimes having to squash 300 people illegally in, the, in that main auditorium, decided we'd extend. We doubled the size of the auditorium and the car park. <sighs> budget was about $1.5 million to do that. We hit the end of the budget and we weren't quite finished. We'd done just about everything, but we had no money left to build the stage and it needed to be a fairly big stage for the auditorium. We did ask the builder, but his quote was pretty astronomical. I thought, mate, that is ridiculous. Um, so I had a chat with Gavin, that guy who'd committed his life to Jesus because he was in the building industry. I said, dumb Gavin, explain the scenario. <laughs> we need a stage and we've got no dough. <laughs> and so he said, that's all right, I'll build it for you. He insisted in doing everything of charge. We thought, look, we could probably scrape enough together to pay for the materials, which we did. But he basically took an entire week off work. And his workshop made, made, made the stuff up in and out of church as he set it all up and made us that stage for free. And um, I tell you what, it's because he believed in the power of that evangelistic tool. He'd got saved through a production. He believed that other people would too, which he'd seen many, many times decided he'd help us out that way. Now, friends, let's bring this message to a close. As the worship team returns, let me pray for you. Father, I want to give you thanks for the many people who actually have got saved through the various evangelistic outreaches that Pamela and I have been involved in, Evangeline, over the years, um, through the various productions we've put on. Thank you for those... Um, Countless souls that are, in, that are on their way to heaven because of those events. Thank you for all the hard work that many members of this church have done in evangelistic endeavour over the years. And uh, Father, we pray for this up-and-coming event, this Saturday, the follower. We just pray that people make an effort to be there and make an effort to bring a friend along. So Father, we do pray too for the various flyers that have been distributed. We pray that even people might show up simply because they've received a flyer or spot of the poster so father we do pray you draw people in in the name of jesus we pray that your gospel will be furthered that your name will be glorified your kingdom will be built will be built for the glory of jesus